You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 network. You're listening to episode 294 and I'm your host, Brittany Martin. Allie Spittle loves teaching people to code. She's been employed in the tech industry since 2014, holding multiple software engineering positions at startups and a distinguished faculty role at General Assembly's Software Engineering Immersive. She blogs a lot about code and her life as a developer. Her blog put well over a million reads and have been featured on Dev's Top 7, The Top Spot on Hacker News, Free Code Camp, and in JS Weekly. She also has a podcast with two other incredible women, Ladybug Podcast. They talk about the tech industry, their backgrounds, and go in depth on code topics. When she's not coding, you can find her watching her favorite New England sports teams, taking runs around Capitol Hill with her dog Blair, or rock climbing. Welcome to the show, Allie. Thank you so much. Allie, what is your developer origin story? Ooh, that's a really good question. So I grew up in the absolute middle of nowhere in like rural New Hampshire, and so my high school definitely did not have computer science whatsoever. So in college, I had an extra semester uh, where I had an extra like credit that I could take and it had to be in a mathematical-ish field. And so the computer science 101 class fit into my schedule. I had no idea what computer science was. I straight up thought I was going to end up learning how to like format Microsoft Word documents better. That's what I thought computer science was. It was not that at all. I learned Python and for me it was just magical. The fact that I could type something into my computer and have something else come out. And so I decided after that that I was going to try to double major in computer science or at least minor in it. And I did really well in the class so I was offered a TA position and, you know, felt like my computer science career was happening. But then the next semester, I took a data structures and algorithms class in C++. And it was a weed out class for the computer science department. Pretty much everybody else had prior coding experience uh, pre before college. So I was kind of the person who was starting late and I was one of the only women in the class. I didn't really know anybody because I was a liberal arts government major and so I was pretty isolated and I worked really really hard in the class, was pulling all-nighters and was still really really struggling with the assignments and up until that point like academics had been relatively, I don't know, I don't want to say easy but it was something that I could do pretty well in classes without pulling all-nighters on things and absolutely driving myself up the wall with these programming problems. So I remember one, I was trying to build a Sudoku solver in C++ and it was just impossible for me at that point in time. So um, after that semester, I felt like programming really wasn't for me. I was coming into it too late, which is ironic now that I teach a bunch of people who are mid-career to code. But for me at 19 years old, I thought that Everybody who was going to work in programming had already learned, and um, I felt like I just wasn't going to ever fit in, so I quit. Um, Then from there, I, the next semester, 
moved to DC for an internship. I was doing like data analysis work for political campaigns. And during that job, I figured out that I could write Python and a little bit of like SQL code in order to make my job a lot easier for myself. Instead of writing individual Excel sheets, I could use Python to kind of clean that up a little bit and make it my job easier for myself. And from there, I got recommended to another job and became a software engineer. So it was kind of accidental in a lot of ways, but the real world applications of code made so much more sense to me than this foreign academic, like uh, building Sudoku solvers and all that. That was a lot more difficult for me, but then when I saw the real world applications of it, it, it kind of clicked. And so I guess all these years later, I'm still here. That's awesome. I know multiple people who got really deep into Microsoft Excel starting to write macros and they just got so good at it. They didn't realize that they accidentally became a software developer. Yeah, definitely. It's so funny. And it really is writing code. It's, it's the same thing as you do with any other programming language. It's just within Excel. And it's seeing those opportunities where you realize that you're doing a tedious task over and over and over again. And it just having that intuition of saying, hey, how can I automate this? And how can I use the tools that I have in front of me to be able to do it? Which really is like a core block of being able to become a developer. It's just really cool when that can happen to someone. Totally, totally. And the, the real stuff, it clicked a lot better for me than pointers and all of that. Absolutely. So I'd love to ask, what are the origins of the Ladybug podcast? Totally. So I wish I had a better origin story than I have, but essentially we were all talking on Twitter and we were kind of thinking about doing a trip where we all traveled to some city and hung out because we had been friends for a while. And then it turned out that doing a trip was going to be really expensive. And so we were like, what could we do instead? And the idea of a podcast came up. And so we kind of happened all upon that. But I think it's really interesting because we all have very different backgrounds. And so uh, we all work in kind of different subfields in programming as well. And so it's nice to have those different perspectives and kind of bounce off of each other there. So we just started doing guests more recently as well. And so that's been another fun experience as well. I'm sure I could learn a lot from you about that. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I really enjoy the podcast. I think it's great. Um, where do you come up with the ideas for the content? Oh, that's a great question, too. So uh, we pretty much just have a running list of different things that we think that we could talk about. And then we try to cycle through really technical stuff and then less technical stuff in interviews so that there's a good balance of us just talking amongst ourselves and then also having guests and doing more career focused stuff, but also doing more technical stuff as well. So we just try to spread it out a little bit, but we have like a Trello board that we keep everything on track in. And uh, so we have different ideas brainstormed in there. I recently listened to an episode on technical portfolios, which I really enjoy just because that can be a very opinionated subject. And so just hearing very, very uh, experienced people talking about what they do and what they've seen out there, I just thought was a really great episode. So listeners, definitely check that out. And I'll link that in the show notes. Thank you. Yeah, having a portfolio has been so pivotal for my career. And so definitely important to talk about on my end. Absolutely. Well, speaking of, you have a real talent for both technical writing and uh, posting for beginners. Do you have advice for listeners who have insights to share but can't get the words to paper or screen? 
Oh, that's a really good question. So I write these rough drafts that are just awful. Like they are in no particular order and make no sense and the grammar on them is awful. But just putting stuff down on paper and having like this word vomit where I just am jotting things down and writing half complete sentences and trying to get all my thoughts out and just having this like really 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 rough outline works for me because I think for me the hardest part is coming over the like overcoming the should I even be writing about this? Like, what do I have to say about this? What do I write next? That's the hardest part for me about writing. And so if I just put no pressure on myself and I just write whatever's in my head, I don't put any pressure on it or stipulations, and then I can come back and edit it after. But I think having that perspective of just like get every, everything out on paper first. And another thing that I think I struggle with is am I experienced enough to write about this and the answer is always yes it's hard to mentally get over that block but uh, I actually started my blog just writing about stuff that I was a beginner at and that I was challenging myself to learn and people still really resonated with that because when you're close to being a beginner at something then you can really write about it from that mindset and also to talk about the stumbling points and what you really struggled with and have that empathy for the people who are learning right now. So um, I think that even if you are relatively new to something, you still have something that will help the conversation and it's still valuable to put it out there, both for you and your readers. I completely agree. I have blog posts from when I started a boot camp back in 2015. And I'm really glad that I did that because it just shows how much of growth I've had as a developer and it almost is another form of a portfolio. And you know, you don't need to be an expert software developer to be able to write. And really it's a skill set that makes you a better developer to be able to communicate in tickets, to be able to uh, explain your point as to why a certain feature was built a certain way, even just interacting with the sales team or interacting with customer support. I just think there cannot be enough value put on, you know, writing and writing often. Totally agree with that. It's so helpful for so many different aspects of things. Because if you can teach something, you know it well enough to really, really know it. Um, in order to explain it to somebody who's starting out, I think for sure. And then it's also just great for from a career perspective as well. Like the opportunities that I've had because of blogging have been really, really incredible. And so I can't recommend it enough. If you have any time at all, just try to write something down. Even if it's imperfect, it'll still help somebody and probably yourself as well. Um, and that being said, like you also don't have to become this overnight blogger by any means. You don't have to write a blog post every day or every week or every month. Just putting one blog post out there will probably help somebody. So don't put a ton of pressure on yourself. I like that a lot. Well, speaking of blog posts, I invited you on the podcast today to discuss a blog post that you wrote called The Career Advice I Wish I Had, which has such incredible advice. I'd love to walk through it with you. Before diving in, why do you offer so much content aimed towards beginners? Thanks. Um, so for me, I work with beginner developers every day. So I teach people how to code a general assembly as part of their software engineering program. So I get to work with these people all day every day. So that's a huge factor of it. It's just that I know how to speak to the people who are at that stage in their career and what they're asking and all that. But then the other part of it is that learning to code was hard for me and I know that I felt like I didn't belong and that 
it wasn't for me. And so if I can make it so that it doesn't feel that way as much for somebody else, I think that that's really, really important. And so that's originally why I started writing more to a beginner audience was that I could really write the stuff that would have helped the former me, both in terms of technical content, but also the more morale boosting and career advice as well. I love that so much. Well, let's kick it off, Allie. So what advice do you have specific for job searching? So for job searching, I would definitely recommend to have a portfolio like we were talking about before, because I have done a lot more hiring than I have done um, job searching in tech. And so something that I always look at first is somebody's portfolio because a resume you can get so much information off of but there's always those rules like it's supposed to be one page and it's supposed to have x and y on it and all that whereas a portfolio you can think out of the box and you get to show what you want to show on it and you get to make it a complete representation of what you want to display in your work and all that and so having a portfolio for me has been huge career-wise uh, both for job searching but even beyond that as well so for doing things like speaking and all that too it's really helpful there um also i know this might be a little bit of a controversial piece of advice but from doing hiring online applications, you get so many people applying for them and there's only one position or two positions at the end of the day. And so getting through that is really, really difficult. So I think the biggest thing that I would take away there is to make sure to network and make connections outside of work so that when you are searching, you know the people that can potentially get you through that online screening process so you don't have to jump through all the hoops there. Um, I would also make sure that you're prioritizing what you value and you're trying to fulfill your long-term goals as well so you're not compromising because the job search is a really two-directional thing and this may look a little bit different when you're early career or if you're in an area where there are less tech jobs or something along those lines but for the most part the job search is two directions so you have to make a find a company that is going to prioritize what you value that's going to make it so that you can pursue your long-term goals and you're taking a step in the right direction for what you really, really value. So make sure that you are taking advantage of the, the fact that it's a two-way street and you don't have to just be completely um, compromising yourself for a job or anything like that. Um, also, I got my first real software engineering job by cold emailing a company. Like, you have internships listed on your site but there aren't any open right now are there any that exist and that's what got me my first job and so just because there aren't any jobs listed maybe on their site doesn't mean that they definitely don't exist especially at startups I had the same experience so my first technical job I've said this on the podcast before but I was at a meetup and someone stood up and said hey we had someone quit at work today is anyone interested in interviewing for this position? So I had the opportunity to interview before it was posted on the site just because I was at the right place in the right time. And I think that, especially for new developers, getting that right, right place, right time situation is really key to finding those opportunities because there are a lot of people who are learning how to code 
and finding opportunities for new developers can be hard, but not impossible. Totally. Meetups are such an important place, I think, for especially people who are looking for jobs to meet people who are in the industry and who have even just like career advice, not even jobs that are open, but just who can uh, make connections for you and all that in the future. So totally agree on meetups being important. I also feel that um, conference job boards are completely underrated because you can go to these like big conferences. They'll have these job boards posted in the hallway with all the jobs from the sponsors and then from the attendees who have jobs that they're hiring for. And I swear that job board can be absolute gold just because you're hearing it from the developers or the developer advocates who are likely involved in the interviewing process. And so being able to go up to those attendees and getting kind of like the 411 as to what's going on with that job, how much it pays, you know, what the work environment might be like is totally different than having to apply online. I love that. That's such great advice. I didn't even think of that, but I I think that that's awesome. Awesome. Well, Allie, I definitely want to pick your brain for uh, some more advice, especially around interviewing and coding challenges, but we're going to take a quick break from our sponsor. This episode of the 5x5 Ruby on Rails podcast is brought to you by Kensington. As a leader in laptop security and productivity, Kensington offers a wide range of products, including secure tablet and laptop cases, adapters, and docking stations. Their universal docking stations give you access to more ports so your slim Chromebook could be as powerful as a desktop. With plug-and-play functionality without having to install drivers, you will enjoy dual 4K display with HDMI and DisplayLink video connectors. Interested? Test drive a docking solution today with the Kensington Pro-C program. Visit kensington.com ruby to learn more. Thank you to Kensington for sponsoring the show. All right, back to you, Allie. So let's move on to your advice for interviewing. What are your tips there? For sure. So... I will preface this by saying I haven't done a ton of interviewing myself, but I've interviewed a lot of people. And so this comes from that perspective a little bit more than anything. But I will also preface this by saying that toxic interviews probably mean that a company is not a company that you want to work for. So if they're asking you all these really, really niche things that you know that you are not going to use on the job, and they're just asking you that to like gatekeep you or make sure that you have some background that they're like really trying to pigeonhole somebody into then that probably signifies that they're not a company that you want to work for in the first place also the same thing is true if they're doing like a bunch of rounds of whiteboarding interviews and they're just making you jump through hoops to jump through hoops so i'm gonna say that up front but then also I would say to make sure that you're showing how you think when you're answering these questions. So most uh, interviewers are really just trying to see how you think through a problem, how you step through problems. And so show that, show your thought process, explain that out, just keep talking, draw diagrams if you need to, explain any issues that may happen with your approach, like any negatives of it. uh, And be vocal, ask questions, try to make sure that you're clarifying what they're really, really asking, because those are all things that make up a great developer or somebody who's willing to reach out for help, who thinks through problems step by step and all of those things. So that's probably, hopefully, what they're looking for when they're interviewing you, rather than whether you have the perfect answer or not. Another thing is that there are probably going to be questions that you don't know the answer to or that you have to say that you don't know the library framework or 
language that they're asking you to know or something like that. So, so somebody asks you, do you know React? Uh, don't lie about that because that's pretty easy to then ask you a couple follow-up questions about things that you know about React. But instead, you also don't have to be like, no, I don't know it and leave it at that. You could instead spin your answer there. So you could say something like, I don't know React yet, but I know Vue, which is another component-based framework. And so I am sure that I could learn React on the job and I love learning new things. And so it'd be a great opportunity to learn that. So show your willingness to learn and make sure that um, you are kind of showing a growth mindset, so to say, when you are answering these questions. So even if you don't know anything perfectly or if you don't know something perfectly, that's okay. Just make sure that you're showing that you want to learn that thing in the future or else it might not be a good fit. Um, also, I think the negotiation process kind of fits within the interviewing section of careers, though it can kind of fit outside of that too. But one big thing, especially in the United States, is that some companies will try to ask you how much money you currently make, which is illegal in some states, but in some states it is legal, and don't answer that question. So especially if you're like underpaid or something like that, then don't answer that question. Instead, you can spin it and say, um, here's the amount that I'm looking for in my next position or something like that. And don't ever answer that question because then they'll try to lowball you, especially if you're underpaid right now. And make sure to negotiate too if you get to that part in the process. So negotiate, negotiate, negotiate. Super important. Super important. And I saw that in your blog post about not revealing that number. And it is something that I have stressed about my entire career. This is, you know, my second career. I was in marketing and sales before. And I've heard the same advice before, but you feel peer pressured into sharing that number. And so I found it even more interesting that it's actually illegal in several states to even ask that question. So um, I think that's such great advice. And it can be really kind of uncomfortable to have to say, hey, I don't want to give you that number. And in some cases, you, you might have to. But I, I like framing it in a way of don't worry about what I've been paid, but this is what I believe that I'm worth now should you hire me. So I, I think that's really good insight. Yeah, definitely. I've definitely been in that position where I've been making a lot less than the market rate. And I know if I put that number out into the world that people would use that against me. Now, I had one really bizarre circumstance where I had moved across the country and I calculated based on the cost of living how much I was going to need. And so I went to that first job and said, hey, this is how much I'm going to need. And they kind of laughed and they're like, oh, no, we're going to give you much more. You don't realize <laughs> you don't realize that you, you need more. And so they were ultimately correct. And, you know, it just gave me such a good feeling about that company because they really were looking out for me. That's awesome. That's a really, really good like green flag for a company, I think. Absolutely. So speaking of interviewing and what can be a big part of it is the dreaded code challenge, which is a controversial topic. What advice can you offer around code challenges? Totally, for sure. It's always interesting to hear the different perspectives on what people like and don't like as an interviewee, because everybody has such different perspectives. Like some people just really dislike whiteboarding. And I think I 
figure that fall into that category too and some people don't like co-challenges and some people don't like pairing and it's just really interesting to always hear but uh co-challenges my advice for those is to and these might be a little bit I don't want to say obvious, but hopefully there are things that you'll do, but make sure to read through the instructions and take notes potentially as well. There are a lot of instructions and before you submit the challenge, read the instructions again to make sure that you're not missing anything um, because this will show that you're paying attention to the details, that you are um, really putting what you can into that challenge. Going off of that, if you have time to go above and beyond the requirements. That's something that really, really stands out, especially if a lot of people are applying for that job. So even if the challenge doesn't add you, ask you to add testing or some additional feature, if you have time, uh, adding those things in will make your challenge stand out and make it so that you're, um, the person who's grading that code challenge will really uh, appreciate it, I think. And especially if you're, again, with a bunch of other people who are looking at the same job. It'll make it so that yours goes a little bit above and beyond there. And then also just follow your coding best practices, like use a linter to clean stuff up, add some comments if possible, uh, make sure that you're get ignoring stuff, all of those clean code things that you should be doing anyways, but make sure that you're doing that for the code challenge as well, just so that you'll show off that you're doing that and we'll do that on the job as well. I agree. I have some more advice as well uh, for the code challenges. Uh, now that you can host private repositories on GitHub for free, be sure that when you are submitting your code challenge, you mark it as private. It's uh, being courteous to the company. If they are having multiple people doing that code challenge, you don't want your solution to be searchable on GitHub so that other people either copy it or learn ahead what the code challenge is so they have an unfair advantage. So if it's possible to somehow make that private so only the interviewer can see it, that would be ideal. And then if you wanna go above and beyond, which I think is great, but you're not sure in your technical abilities, really knocking it out of the park on the documentation part. So just having a really stunning readme and attributing and thanking the people who offered the dependencies that you might have needed to uh, pull off the code challenge is a really slick move. I really, really like that. That's awesome advice. Yeah, I grade co-challenges for instructors now, so it's a little bit different than grading co-challenges for people applying for engineering positions, but documentation is so important and explaining what pieces of code are doing so that I can tell that somebody would uh, be able to explain something to a new developer. So now you've nabbed the job. What are some best practices you should be bringing to work? So I think the first thing would be to, I at least these are things that I do. And so again, everything with this episode are like, a lot of them are great things to do, but you also don't have to do all of them. And that is totally fine. And you can have a very successful career without them as well. So the first thing is I keep a repository full of things that I know and I'm interested in and resources that I like. And so I have this repository on GitHub so that I can come back to that and search through that instead of searching the internet again. Uh, I have also at certain points in my career had a full-blown engineering journal where I had a cron job actually on my computer that each day 
the journal would populate with different questions in it about what I've learned and what I'm doing and all that. So that could be another great strategy as well. But keeping some sort of tabs on what you know, things that are interesting to you, uh, resources that you want to come back to. I think that that's a really helpful thing to have. Along the same lines, I really, really am a huge uh, believer in tracking your wins. So having some sort of repository or a Notion document or a Word doc or really anything that will help you, but having something that you're tracking your accomplishments so that if you're having a hard day, if you're having imposter syndrome or uh, anything like that, you can come back to that document and look through all the things that the people are saying that are nice about you and all of that. So cool things that you've built, nice things that people have said. Uh, I have like nice letters from former students. I have screenshots of nice comments from blog posts, uh, nice compliments from reviews and stuff as well. So it's good from that perspective. So if you're having a bad day, you can back, come back to it. But then the other thing too, is if you are negotiating for a job, it's really, really helpful to have that document of all of your wins and cool things that you've done, especially if you're looking for an internal raise or promotion. Um, for me, it's really, really helpful when I'm having a bad day on the internet too. When somebody's saying something nasty on there, I can go back and look at all the nice things too. I love that. I have a folder in my email that I just store like good things in. And I'll be honest, I don't go into that folder nearly as much as I probably should. So yeah, that's, that's a good so reminder. True. Yeah, I, I need to too as well. It's just nice to have it though, just in case anything happens. Absolutely. Another thing that I would say is to find ways to challenge yourself. So um, I know that at least for me, when I'm in a job for a while and you're familiar with the code base and things are implemented a certain way, that can get a little bit boring. And I think that developers like to challenge themselves. So definitely make sure that you're challenging yourself some way um, still. So different things that you can do. I started writing blog posts about new things that I was learning and that was a new challenge for me. I also used to work for like an early stage startup so I could kind of do what I wanted with the code base. And so I made myself do like strict test development for a while. I also made myself Sandy Metz's rules I think are really awesome too. And so I made myself implement those as well for a while. So um different things to just make sure that you're keeping expanding your knowledge and that you're challenging yourself so that you feel challenged. And then another thing is to make sure to not stay in toxic work environments. I know it's easier said than done and I've been in that situation where I've stayed there too long as well. But that being said, uh, the job process or the job search process can be really, really hard and not fun, but also at the same point trying to get yourself to a better situation will make things better for you as well. So make sure that your mental health and safety is being prioritized as well. I completely agree. And yes, Allie, we are very proud in the Ruby community to have Sandy Metz and uh, we love her roles. So that's fantastic. Totally, totally. Most then, of my life, most people don't know about Sandy Metz's roles. So I'm like, okay, thank goodness <laughs> this podcast, people will know it. You have found your people. Yes. <laughs> Um, I might as well go ahead and plug it as well. Um, 
I am speaking on day two at RubyConf, uh, talking about how to quit your job. So <laughs> I am in the last slot on day two. So listeners, if you're going to be there, I'd love to meet and see you. And this will definitely be relevant. Um, Allie, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. Uh, how can listeners follow you? Thank you so much for having me. This has been awesome. So my blog is welearncode.com, and then I am eSpittle on Twitter. Those are the best places to find me, I think. Fabulous. Well, Allie, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. Listeners, be sure to give Ladybug Podcast a listen and check out more of Allie's blog posts. I'll be back next week. Thank you so much. 